The excavation of more than 300 human skeletons on the British island of St Helena made headlines around the world when the archaeologists told their story in a book. They were the remains of young Africans, including children, who'd been found dead or dying aboard captured slave-running ships that were brought to the island. The book was called Infernal Traffic. Fascinated by that word infernal, I realise it's a quote, but of course it means hellish. And there is no doubt that what was going on on those slave ships, if you read any book on it or research it at all, was absolutely infernal. It was hellish. Andrew Gurr, launching Infernal Traffic at Bristol University in 2012. He was governor of St Helena between 2007 and 2011 and watched as the archaeologists excavated part of the so-called Liberated African Graveyard in Rupert's Valley in preparation for the building of a road to carry construction traffic for the island's first airport. When they started unearthing real bodies and you went and looked into the open graves and saw the skeletons of young and old and buttons and bits of cloth and teeth, and it was a, a really telling experience, I can Did say. You, it's fairly extraordinary, isn't it? The graves of hundreds of slaves found on British soil. Mm. That is <clears> a pretty stunning sentence, even. Well, I mean, I think if you look at the history of the British Empire, slavery yeah. played quite a big part. It was an extraordinary set of discoveries, revealing much about the notorious middle passage of the slave trade, the transporting of Africans across the Atlantic crammed so tightly into ships' holds that they could barely move. The fact that people could survive through that, to my mind, just defies modern imagination. Most of the archaeological evidence there might have been of the middle passage has been effectively lost at sea. The deep ocean does not readily give up its secrets. Until the excavation in Rupert's Valley, there'd been little evidence of what the victims endured beyond the stories of survivors. Professor Mark Horton. This really is important. By any measure, it's very, very rare to get an assemblage of material, both skeletal and object-led, from the Middle Passage. This is one of the great holocausts of, of humanity, and yet... It leaves no archaeological trace, and so this is something which is of, of, of universal importance. The finds on St Helena were exciting for historians, but for the people of St Helena, the discoveries were more personal. Many are descended from slaves who'd only just won their own freedom when the waves of Africans began coming ashore from the captured slave-running ships in the 1840s. The fact of their slave heritage was known by the saints, but not much talked about. My name is Pamela Ward-Pierce. I was born and raised on the island of St Helena and I've spent the last 34 years in Britain working as a nurse and I'm also the chairman of the Friends of St Helena. When you were growing up on St Helena, were you very aware of this slave history? No, not really. I mean, you don't recognise the importance or the significance of it until, like a lot of other things, you don't recognise the beauty of the island until you actually leave it. You take it all for granted. You've just grown up, it is just St Helena. You don't see the people as being descended from slaves. You don't have people who look like Africans, Chinese, Indians, whatever. So you, you don't think of it in terms of slaves. Colin Fox comes to the story from the other side of the master-slave relationship. His discoveries of his own family connection led him to become editor of Wirebird, the journal of the Friends of St Helena. 
I did some research on family history some years ago, and uh, one of the things that came up was that uh, this ancestor of mine owned eight slaves. And I found this document in the East India Office records, which listed the names of all these slaves in the early 1830s. And it gave the name of the slave, it gave their age, gave their owner, it gave their value, what they were costed as, and also a bit about them, what their character was like, whether they had children, what their occupation was. And the names of those slaves are the names of the people on the island now, Jan, Mittens, Francis, Henry. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, a lot of recognisable names. It seemed that the earlier slaves just had a single name, like Jan, or often the name of a month, February, or whatever, March. And then as they married, or not married, but cohabited or married sometimes, and had children, they used this first name as a surname, so it would be Peter Jan. Slavery had been a part of the St. Helena story from the beginning of its permanent settlement by the East India Company in 1659. The history of the island tells of slave revolts, brutal punishments, and even of desperate men stealing small boats and escaping into the vastness of the ocean with no hope of survival. When one slave was to be burned to death, the order was that all blacks except young children were to attend and bring a piece of wood for the fire. The discoveries in Rupert's Bay have brought a heightened awareness among some St. Helenians of that grim heritage. The archaeologists have told of being treated with wariness by some. Letters to the island newspapers occasionally hint at resentment. But still, there are few outward signs of collective hurt. We're a bit more ambivalent about slavery on the island. Maybe it's because... We've grown up within a colonial system and you have the sort of parental care from the colonial masters. You tend to see it as being for your best. And, you know, slavery comes in all forms and even after abolition, it still survives. Lots of St. Helenians left for indentured labour in lots of different parts of the world. So is that slavery? There was a bit of political toing and froing about the airport and whether it was right to spend, at the time, the figure was £300 million on mm. a tiny island so far away with hardly any people on it. Actually, when you look at this part of St Helena's history, do you think there is a debt there that Britain has an obligation to St Helena, partly because of this? Well, some states argue that. There's a case to be made. The rationale behind the airport is a modern one. It, it isn't a debt thing at all. It's the fact that at the moment Britain is spending and the EU is spending probably upwards of £30 million a year. And by building the airport, that will reduce. Looking as I do, I can't deny perhaps my slave heritage. No doubt I am ascended from slaves. But I don't feel anybody need to apologise to me because of it. If you start arguing debt, historical debt, then we go around apologising to everybody for slavery forever. So that there's a cut-off point somewhere. And the last of those liberated slaves died not so very long ago. No, if we read the deaths record correctly, a lady called Charlotte Harper died in the middle of 1929, aged 100 years. Dr Andy Pearson, who led the excavations. So she began life, if her age is correct, just on the edge of the 1830s, somewhere in the continent of Africa. And she ends this remarkable life in a remote South Atlantic island on the brink of the Wall Street crash. So yes, one is in historical touching distance. One is within the grasp of oral history. I mean, we've talked to a good many St. Helenians who are into their 80s, 90s, 
and their own memories stretch to the earlier 20th century and they remember what their own grandparents told them. They were alive at the time of abolition and the time that St Helena was involved in this process. We have history, we have archaeology, we have oral history, we have landscape and it all really comes together in this one tiny, tiny location that is St Helena but the story that it tells in many ways sort of deserves to take centre stage. What for you is the significance of this find for St Helena? I think it's extremely significant because I think St Helena is remembered almost solely for Napoleon and the fact that he died there and spent six years there. Now, a lot of people on St Helena resent that because they feel the island actually has more to it than just a prison, if you like. And it does because I think it actually was at the very fulcrum, if you like, of the development of the British Empire. And the abolition of slavery was a big part of that. I mean, slavery was there at the beginning and slavery was abolished at the end. It is a landscape in which so many sites still survive. They all join up. They tell a story about really what was a linchpin of the British Empire, facilitating access to the East, access to India. And the British Empire would have struggled to develop and exist without the presence of this island. The point's been made that St Helena is famous for this bloke who was there for six years. And actually there's so much more to it. And, and now it might become known for its slaves. It might perhaps come to overshadow the other things. I mean, what would you like St. Helena to be known for? It's much, much more than a sum of its parts. Napoleon is only one aspect of St. Helena history. You know, we're even connected to things like the War of Jenkins here. There's Jenkins Cottage in Sandy Bay. Because the Jenkins Helena, became the governor. Exactly. St. Helena reflects British history through and through. Whatever happened in British history, there was a microcosm of this on St. Helena. Most of the important people who were mentioned within the British history, gone to India, all around, they all stopped at St. Helena. Wellington, Wellington nearly exactly. drowned yes. in James Bay, you couldn't swim. Exactly, you should have learned to swim. My father taught most St. Helena's to swim, but unfortunately Wellington was a bit before his time. So perhaps people from Britain need to go to St. Helena to understand about themselves. Perhaps. There was a lot of very, very significant historical things happened on St. Helena which are long forgotten, and I think they need bringing out into the open. And this slavery issue is, is a major, major one worldwide, and I think St. Helena has a part to play in that today. The last six freed slaves to arrive at St. Helena were brought to the island aboard HMS Griffin in 1864. Colin Fox. Up to 1792, when they stopped slave imports to the island, there had been imports for centuries, not very much from Africa, in fact, mostly from the Indian Ocean Rim and India and Sumatra and places like that. And the slave trade to the island stopped in 1792, But, of course, there were still slaves on the island, and it took until the early 1830s for these people to be manumitted. Manumitted means that they were freed, but, in fact, they had to pay for their freedom. The East India Company archives show that as free labourers, most of the liberated slaves never quite managed to earn the money to pay the charge. And, in truth, life was little better for them. And then, in the following decade, the Royal Navy began bringing captured slave-running ships to Rupert's Bay. It brings in a totally different aspect of the kind of slaves that were on the island because uh, these were all African slaves, whereas previous to that, most of the slaves on the island had a, a kind of Indian Ocean rim background. Many of the slaves, the liberated slaves, became indentured labourers and went to the West Indies and some of them to Africa, I think. Although you don't know where most of them came from and, of course, 12-year-olds couldn't have told their liberators. 
Some stayed on, but they didn't initially integrate. No, they didn't. I think that the figures that we have suggest that maybe about, of the 26,000 who were landed, about 500 stayed on St Helena. And we can see from the births and the deaths and the marriages record where their lives went. I think by the 1870s there were still complaints that they were living as a separate community, they weren't integrating, they weren't speaking English, and the greatest crime from the point of view of these writers was they weren't converting to Christianity. They lived together, they intermarried, but essentially they seem in large part to have disappeared. So that, I think, is something to follow up, exactly how these people's lives and ancestors went within St Helena. There's a likelihood that some of the St Helenians, the saints, are descended from those slaves, isn't there? I think it's more than a likelihood. I think it must be a certainty, yes. With that larger population. But you don't know who? I don't know who is yet, but the records are there to tell us. And and I think a a further research trip. And um, to some extent, you have to move beyond the records and actually go and ask people and look at photographs. And that's something we haven't done yet, partly because of time, partly because of the sensitivity of the subject. Perhaps maybe uncomfortable for the saints, but I think it is a part of their heritage and a part of their ancestry that it is a reality. The Africans brought a new element to the hodgepodge genetic mix on St Helena. Colin Fox again. This great mix of people now on the island, they are in fact the future of the world. I mean, if you looked at the population of the world in two or three hundred years' time, it will probably be very similar to what the people on St Helena are like today because they have Asian, Indian, African, Canadian, whalers and things, people who went there, and South Americans, all settled on the island at some point, and they're all racially mixed, and this is what the world is heading for. It's all part of the licorice all sorts, the melting pot, that is who we are. Infernal Traffic, the story of the excavation of the liberated African graveyard in Rupert's Valley, by Andrew Pearson, Ben Jeffs, Anne-Sophie Whitkin and Helen Macquarie, is available from its publisher, the Council for British Archaeology. I'm Simon Pipe, and this podcast has been made for St Helena Online at www.stelenaonline.org.